Today's reading is taken from Genesis chapter 11, verse 29, to chapter 12, verse 7. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him. And the Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moray at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who appeared to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, this is the third um, part of the series and that we started a few weeks back. Genesis 1, the creation, Genesis 3, the fall, and Genesis chapter 12, the call of Abraham. Um, if you haven't listened to the other sermons, actually they do set the background for this sermon, so if I could encourage you to do that. And I also want to just give a little, uh, uh, the, the headings um, in the bulletin have been changed significantly, so please don't rely on the headings that are there um, in the bulletin. But let me pray for us as we come to this text. Lord, we thank you that you are God who speaks, who calls, and who saves. And Lord, it is by your word that your world was created, and by your word, Abram was called, and each of us have been called um, to your son, Jesus. And we pray now that you would use this time to speak to us to our hearts and to our minds. Help us to be people, be people who are transformed by your blessing to be blessings for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1992, uh, the Han family uh, immigrated to the United States. My dad, who was a pastor, also was approached by a bishop twice. And when he was approached by the bishop the second time, he just took that to be God's call for him to come. So my dad being dad, you know, it doesn't matter if he had any reservations or not. God calls, he goes. Well, my mom had a bit more of a difficult time 
Well, about thinking about the move, she was a principal of a kindergarten. She was com- uh, co- uh, she was uh, comfortable um, at home there and didn't want to move. My younger sister, who was at the time 10, 10, 10 years old, was irrationally happy. <laughs> she was she just looked forward to going to America for it seemed to me no reason at all. I was 12 at the time, and apparently I told my parents that I would commit suicide if I left to go to the U.S. Well, we moved anyway, despite my threat, and it changed my life. It changed our family's life. Well, Abraham, Abraham's call in chapter 12, it didn't just change his life. It actually changed history. It changed eternity in many ways. So we're going to first take a look at this call of Abraham and the extraordinary obedience um, that Abram showed in obeying this call. But we're also going to take a look and put this obedience and set it against the backdrop of Genesis and what's happening, what's happened so far, and see how this wasn't a call just to bring Abram and to bless him, but it had this vision to bless the whole world, to change the whole world. And we'll see how this promise still gives us hope. It keeps us hoping um, in the goodness of God. Well, let's take a look at the first point. I didn't want to move to Korea when I was 12, but imagine getting this call at the age of 75. 75, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Look at this command. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, meaning leave the protection and security that the country offered. There's the things that he knows, uh, the country offered a certain type of protection, and he had to leave it to go through wild animals in lawless lands, in places unprotected by anything, and filled with unsavory characters. Leave your people. It was a command to leave the culture that he had ever known. You know how it is when you travel in the first week, it's good. Second week, ah, you miss home a bit. Third week, you just want to go home, don't you? Because culture is familiarity. It's language, it's food, it's comfort, it's everything. God is saying, leave place where you're comfortable. Leave that. Leave your father's household. This also meant leaving his inheritance. Leave your inheritance. Leave the land that you would have inherited. Leave the place that you uh, rightfully deserve in your family line. Leave that. Leave that security and go to the land I will show you. And God sure didn't make it easy. Go to the land I will show you. He didn't say go to that land over there. Go to the land I will show you. The destination isn't given He's supposed to take the instruction from the Lord as he goes, as he arrives. He had to leave everything. What's implied in all of this also is that he had to leave the idols, the the gods that he worshipped wherever he was. Back then, gods were attached to sort of these regions, and families worshipped their gods at home together. And to be sure, Abram's family were idol worshippers. As Joshua says in Joshua 24, verse 2, Terah, the father of Abram, Nahor, lived in, uh, beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. He's being told to leave their gods, 
and to attach himself to Yahweh God. He's being told to leave everything and bind himself to this God he is, who is calling him to go to the place that he will show Abram. Professor Chris Watkin put it this way, Abram does not pledge himself to a new way of life, but to a new Lord. Not to a new code of behavior, but to a new relationship. Not to a new way of life. Not to a new way of behaving, but to a new Lord. This is how radical this call is. God is calling Abraham to say, make me. Attach yourself to me. Make me your country. Make me your people. Make me your security. Make me your culture. Make me your comfort. Make me everything. Attach yourself to me, is what he's saying. And extraordinarily, he obeys. Verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Abram went and obeyed. You know, God's call to us isn't all that different. Often, when we share the gospel with non-Christians, we often sort of accentuate the good thing, don't we? We say, you know, God has a wonderful plan for your life, and come and get peace from God. God will bless you. Um, God will uh, uh, do wonderful things for you, so come and follow him. But that's not how Jesus called his disciples. This is an example of one in Luke chapter 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even his own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. It's not that God doesn't have a wonderful plan for our life. Of course he does. But in order to receive it, it means leaving everything that we know and making our home with God, making Jesus our Lord, and making our security and peace and home, everything in Christ Jesus. Yes, the kingdom of God is promised to us, but in this life, following Jesus might look like picking up the cross and dying daily for his sake. And friends, if there are some of you here considering becoming a Christian, you should know, you should know this, that God never promised Abram or any of us an easy and comfortable life. Leaving everything and follow me is still the call of Jesus to each one of us. And it requires a continuing journey of leaving, doesn't it? Of course, we're not to leave physically, to go away somewhere else but emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. It means distancing ourselves from finding security in our nation, in our culture, in our family, in money, in status, health, and wealth of this world, and making our security at home with Jesus, in Jesus. So let me ask, you know, where is your primary allegiance? Is it God's kingdom? Where is your sense of security? People put sense of security in their health, in their bank account, in their job. Is it in following Jesus? Is that where you feel the safest when you are following him and doing his will? Where are you storing up your treasure, in your bank account or in heaven? Of course, following Jesus also means obeying, obedience. What do you say to God when God tells you, to do something. Speak to your colleagues about good news of Jesus. Well, but 
What about my reputation at workplace? But give at least 10%. But will I have enough for the future? Serve. But Lord, I am so tired and busy. Obey. But friends, where are you saying your buts? Where are the buts? Go. And Abraham went, leaving everything. And we'll see how God calls Abraham, not for himself, but to bless the whole world. For the sake of the whole world, he's called to bless the world. In other words, his call is missional, as is ours. And this becomes clear when we see the context of God's call. As we saw a couple of weeks back, Adam and Eve rebelled in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 4 through 11 record a downward, a downward spiral. Genesis chapter 4, ang- uh, jealousy, anger, and murder. There's then uh, a drunkenness and sexual immorality, pride, and continued rebellion, all sorts of evil. The problem of sin is so entrenched in human beings that it can be slowed down by God's judgment. We see it twice in the flood and the Tower of Babel, but sin survives and it continues to spread. There is no remedy for this. Sin can be slowed down but not remedied. That's the message of Genesis chapter 4 through 11. And what we deserve is God's punishment. What humanity deserves is to end in death. But remarkably, in chapter 12, judgment is not spoken but God's word of benediction, blessing, is spoken to a man, Abram. I will bless you, and through him, to all the people of the world, the world that rebelled against him. God says, I will bless the world through you. And look at this extraordinary promise. I will make your name, I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. And that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Wonderful for Abram. But this blessing isn't given just for Abraham. It's given to bless the world. So it continues in verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Given the context of Genesis, the purpose of this call becomes clear. It's to reverse the curse that has come in Genesis chapter 3. It's to reverse the sin and death that have become so entrenched in the world. It's given to rescue people from sin, from curses, to give life and blessing to the world. You know the famous verse from the New Testament, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Well, this is, the the setup is exactly the same. For God so loved the world, God called Abram. God chose Abram, gave him a great, will give him a great name, make him a great nation, make him a source of blessing so that the world will enjoy his blessing once again all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. All the nations will be blessed through you. And of course, we know that this blessing will be fulfilled through Jesus's dece- I mean, Abram's descendant, Jesus. Jesus, all those who will bless Jesus will be blessed, will enjoy a measure of his blessing now, enjoy the fullness of his blessing in the future. And all those who curse him will be cursed 
especially in the end. And we, the church, are people who are blessed through the name of Jesus. Paul, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, calls all those who believe in Jesus children of Abraham. You are the children of Abraham. We are the children of Abraham. We've been called out from this world to be part of his nation, his people, to be a source of blessing to the world. And the purpose of God's call for us is exactly the same as the call to, for Abraham. Abraham, we're called out. We're blessed to bless others. We're called out to be a blessing to the world, not for ourselves, but to share it to the rest of the world. It is missional at its heart. If you missed Alex's great sermon last week, please do listen to it. <coughs> but he mentioned um, there a, a series, a TV series called Band of Brothers, a group of soldiers. It follows a group of Easy Company, a group of soldiers during the World War II. One of the main characters is Richard Winters, played by actor Damien Lewis. He's, Richard Winters was an enlisted man who started the army from the very bottom, uh, private, and he rises through the ranks very quickly. And by end of the war, he's a major, which, are just, which is just a few steps below being a general. He rises quickly because he's different from other officers. And there are many other officers that's depicted in the show. There are some officers who blame their juniors for their own mistakes. Some officers who use their juniors as shield, you know, in the, in the time of war. There are other officers who are, who's use, who, who are using the war and their sort of uh, war experiences to rise, to rise in the ranks. They're using it for themselves. Of course, Winters is none of, the, none of those. He's always thinking about the good of the battalion. He leads by, going, by being right in the front and leading his men in the charge. And one of the junior soldiers, there are various interviews um, throughout the, in the very beginning of the show each episode. One of the, his soldiers is interviewed, and he exclaims, It's a wonder how this man came alive. He made it through the war having done exactly that. You see, Richard Winters knew that when he was called to be a sergeant, lieutenant, a captain, and a major, that these positions weren't given to him for his benefit, for his status, so he can hide while others go out. No, he knows that these, he's called to be these things, to lead and to bless, to, to help to, uh, others, who could, who, so he could serve others. And that's what he does. And friends, that's how we ought to think about our faith and the blessing that we receive from God, the blessings that God gives us. We ought to be, uh, we, we're called to bless others when God blesses us. We are not to make, to make decisions based on what's most comfortable for me, what's best for me, where do I live that's best for me. What kind of job is best for my influence and for my status, uh, for my safety? No. God has called us out from the world who thinks exactly like that to be his people. And we are given a mission to go out and be a blessing to the world. When we make decisions, we ought to be asking the question, where can I be the most blessing for others? Where should I go to be part of God's mission 
How can I use my money, time, talents, and other things that God has given me to serve others? Friends, what's God's calling you to do? How can you be, how can you use God's gifts that God has given you to be a blessing to others? Are you thinking like that? We are a people with a mission whose scope is the world. The world needs to be blessed through us, through the name of Jesus whom we hold out. And this world needs, desperately needs, blessing and the hope that come through Jesus Christ. Recently, the fertility rate in Hong Kong apparently has now um, dropped to be the lowest in the world. The country of my uh, uh, birth, South Korea, held the number one position for a long time. But now we've been replaced by Hong Kong. Why aren't young people having children? There are many reasons, and it's complicated. But one reason is this. People are pessimistic about the world. As they look look ahead in the future, they're not feeling optimistic, and they think, why bring people into this world? It's not just Hong Kong. Birth rates around the developed world is, is going down. Even in Africa and in many other places, it's going down as well. People are worried about many things, religious, national uh, extremism, climate change, threats of war, cost of living rising, the uh, cost of raising children rising, rising. And we're saying, why bring children into this world? And the scientific worldview is also pessimistic. The science says that we're just accidents. The world is just accidents. There's no meaning. There's no meaning to my life. There's no meaning to this world. And you know how it'll end? The world will end. The earth will end when the sun goes out and the earth with it. The universe itself will be torn apart. You know, that the world is pessimistic isn't their fault. Genesis chapter 4 through 11 depicts a world without God, people doing their own thing. And it's depressing, isn't it? It's depressing. It's hopeless. And that hopelessness is poignantly illustrated in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, with these words. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. You see, Abram's family line was hopeless. It had no foreseeable future. It's barren. Theologian Walter Brugman says this is Bible's metaphor for humanity. Humanity on our own, humanity has nowhere to go but dead end. But again and again, the barrenness that humanity um, uh, is, is not just a symbol of hopelessness. It's a backdrop against which God acts. And God speaks of hope. It's the backdrop against which God, God's undeserved blessing of grace will be spoken to. Against the backdrop of the fall, flood, uh, Babel, God speaks of a word of these blessings. I will bless you. And did you notice all the repetition of the eyes here? I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and I will bless those who bless you. See, the salvation of humanity, the hope of humanity, is not in incremental changes that we make. 
No, it's, it's not, it won't come through technological revolution or medical breakthrough. It will come, the, it will come through God's action. It will, uh, salvation is entirely God's doing. I will bless you, God says. And to show that only He uh, is the source of our hope, He gives this barren woman at the age of 90, He causes Sarah to give birth. A miraculous birth. Only God can do that. And many generations later on, God will bring about another miraculous birth, this time through a virgin. I will bless you. God is doing the saving, not us. And therein lies the hope for all of us. We hope in God who is committed to us even as we rebel. We hope in God who makes promises, covenants, and fulfills them. And even when we continue to fail, we hope in God and in the story that God has revealed in the Bible and the storyline revealed in the Scripture. Our story does not end in death and integration, disintegration. It ends in life. It ends in renewal. We live under this hope. That's, that's why we can continue to hope in this world, in the midst of this dark world. I don't know what you did this morning. You know, when I wake up, I read the newspaper. I looked at the, the headlines. It's depressing, doesn't it? Isn't it? We woke up to the news of, of uh, war in Israel, Israel, earthquake in Afghanistan, political dysfunction, well, let's face it, everywhere. But in the midst of it, we are people who continue to hope, who enjoy his blessings, trusting in God's plan of salvation, that he will save us, that we are his people, bearing his name, living his way, bearing witness to his good way of life, showing the world what the world in the end will look like because God is in our midst. And in that way, we're like Abram. When Abram died, the only piece of land that he owned was a little piece of land that he bought from the Hittites to bury his wife. Just a little piece of land. He was promised a nation, but he didn't even get to see his own grandson. He lives lived as a nomad in tents, in the land that God promised him. In tents, promising, looking forward to the day when this promise would be fulfilled. So we too live in this hope, hope of God's promise, looking forward to the day when the fullness of that promise will be fulfilled. At the end of our story, uh, the story today in chap- 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 chapter 12, verse 6. <coughs> Abram finally arrives at, at uh, Canaan, at the tree of Moreh. Moreh in Hebrew means teacher or oracle. It was probably a great tree. It was a, probably a tree of uh, idol worship, Canaanite shrine, a place where people came for divination and things. As we see at the end of verse 6, you see there, um, people are there. Canaanites were there in the land. 
But then in that land, at that place, God appeared. And what does Abram do? He built an altar to the Lord. He built an altar to the, to the Lord. And not just this one only. In chapter, uh, verse 8, he goes to Bethel, builds another one there. As a nomad, these altars were probably the only architectural marks that Abram left in the promised land. And of course, that's what we're here doing today, worshiping Yahweh in the middle of a place filled with idols, filled with brokenness, filled with sin and death all around us because God has called us to worship Him. God has called us to hope in Him. So we leave behind our world and bind ourselves fully to our Lord Jesus. We respond to the call uh, to be a blessing to the world around us, speaking His name, living His way, showing the world what it means to live with God in our midst. And we respond by having children, by making spiritual children, continually reminding the world that on our own, yes, it is bleak, but we're not our own. God is with us. He is committed to us. And this is his world, and we are his people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the promise that was given to Abraham, fulfilled in Jesus, and we thank you that we get to taste your blessings together in this community as we come together, the restored relationship with you, restored relationship with one another, and restored relationship to your creation. Lord, help us to enjoy that blessing, but help us also to see that this blessing is a call to go out and bless others, to be a blessing. We pray that we'll be people who are mission-minded, people who, are, who go and use all that you've given to us to bless others so that the whole world will be blessed through us. Lord, we thank you for the blessing. Lord, help us to be a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.